Hello okay. and welcome to the Belgian Business. I'm Kate Markland and today we have the absolute pleasure of being joined by Cindy Lockhart. And Cindy helps teach practitioners that food is medicine. Good afternoon and welcome, Cindy. Thank you. Thank you. So, Cindy, how have you arrived at this point where you are helping health providers and practitioners learn that food is medicine? It's been a it's been a long journey, and you know, it starts with with yourself, right? We we learn on our own bodies, and then we work with our own clientele. What we do know, I mean, today is especially in America, we we are more obese than we're not, and obesity is driving chronic disease. So, I mean, we 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 know that we are living longer as as a population, but we're not living healthier. And dietitians, number one, well, I, I hope we'll, we'll talk on this, Kate, in regards to functional versus conventional is just how the, the approach is different and how I practice. But we're we're one in, in few between. You know, so we can't target everybody who needs our help. We need more practitioners on the ground assessing, helping others learn how nutrition is medicine and how to implement these practices in an easy an enjoyable way. So we, we need more boots on the ground to, to mm. help us really help our, our populations get healthier. So what's led, I mean, if we look at pictures of the beach in the 1970s, people are a lot, lot slimmer than they are today. What has happened in the last 50 years that has driven this pandemic of obesity? Gosh, we, we got a lot of processed Franken foods out there. I mean, foods that have ingredients that the body doesn't even know what to do with it. And so that is really causing, you know, and, and a lot of them are, are engineered to trigger the reward center. So we need more and more and more. So we're eating a lot more calories, but we're malnourished because we're not getting the right nutrients that our body needs to function. And then we're not active anymore. We've got technology these days. And so we, we're just sitting a lot more. And we're, we're afraid to, to go out or we don't feel well enough to go out and act and be active or exercise. So those are, are, are a few of the things. And then there's also toxins, you know, so they've actually done a lot of studies where they show the trajectory in regards to all of the chemicals that we're producing and the alignment with obesity, as well as a lot of our endocrine disruption, which helps us metabolize. So is obesity without any doubt correlated to long-term chronic disease yeah. disorders or health. And a lot of it is the, the underlying uh, reason is what's called oxidative stress and inflammation. Those really are the underlying drivers of obesity and chronic disease. And what is oxidative stress, Cindy? <laughs> the way that I like to, 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 Use, I like to use stories, I like to use analogies so people understand. And so oxidative stress is like rusting at the cell level. Like think of when you take an apple, you cut it up and you put it out, it rusts, it turns brown. So that's what's happening at a cellular level. And so things like our, our poor diet, our lack of sleep, stress, toxins, infections, medications, there's so many things that are driving that. So we need to, to eat and live healthfully to help dampen that, to help neutralize that stress. And then that, that actually triggers inflammation and inflammation we need. I mean, that is a very critical component of the innate immune system. 
but it's it's set up for short-term bouts, whereas we're now in a chronic inflammatory state. So it's like a, a low-grade fire that's constantly burning below the surface. And that's also driven by a lot of the same things that promotes oxidative stress. And that's what really triggers our, our dysfunction and our disease. And if, if we even think about kind of how our body shapes have changed, we've got a lot more around the midsection. And that deep abdominal fat is the most inflammatory tissue in the body. So we can just look at somebody and, and say, okay, there's more inflammation. Or of course, if you don't have the energy, your joints are aching, you know, those are all inflammatory signs as well. So let's say once we're over 18, I'm just picking that. Some people could argue 16, 17, 20 few, whatever. We're, we're grown-ups. We are able to make our own decisions about what we eat and how we exercise. And there's a huge amount here that is just quite obvious common sense that if you eat well and exercise something, exercise more than you're eating, you will lose weight. So as adults, are we not all able just to take responsibility for ourselves and choose not to eat the ice cream ghetto, have one slice rather than the whole thing or... Absolutely. I mean, and, and that that's what I like to talk about too, is we are in the driver's seat. You know, so a lot of times we'll use the excuse that it's in my genetics and I'm destined to have this. Well, genetics plays a very, very small role. It's what we choose to do or choose not to do in our lifestyle. That's going to turn those genes on or off. And so we do have that capability, but people are scared. You know, they feel like they're going to be restricted. They feel like they're going to be deprived and, and moving is hard. if They're inflamed. So that hurts, you know, so they, they need to work with the professionals that can understand and can help them to implement small things that are enjoyable and that do make them feel better and that empowers them to continue down that road because it is a long-term investment. And, you know, that's sometimes hard for people to think about. And, and that's part of that conventional thought, right? You go in and you have a symptom or you have a condition, and oftentimes we're given a pill to take care of that label, but it's not really taking care of it at the root. And, and so we we don't really learn what can we do differently in regards to how we're eating or how we're living to help alleviate maybe that symptom or help manage or even reverse some chronic conditions. So what's the problem that we have become addicted to nice things? That, of things that taste nice and reward us to chocolate, to crisps, whatever? Or is it that we have just become so unconscious, we're just not consciously choosing? It's not an addiction problem, it's just that we're just not consciously aware, we're just putting food in our mouth without actually thinking what we're putting in. Yeah, there. I mean, there are so many layers to that, Kate. I mean, so yes, part of it is not being aware, no, never being educated. And so what we do is we, we do what we learned growing up. And so if we weren't taught that growing up, then we just continue on thinking, well, that's what I'm supposed to do now that I'm an adult. Um, other things are, you know, again, the, the fear of being deprived or being restricted. Um, and then there's, there's, you know, all kinds of disordered eating patterns that are also layered in there too. So, so many different reasons why we end up not paying attention to it. But I think that's where we we have the opportunity, right? As health practitioners is 
let's just have that conversation and 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 assess where are they at and let's do a trial let's do an experiment let's make some shifts make sure that you're enjoying what you're doing and that you're not feeling deprived and let's see how you feel see how you function oftentimes i would say well over 95% of the time when whenever i've worked with a practitioner or i've worked with a client myself they feel better and so they're empowered to continue on that journey but that shouldn't have to be hard I mean, so even with, I think initially, Kate, we were talking about kind of let's let's move more, let's eat less. It's still a lot more than that. So it's not about calories in, calories out. And I think the analogy I use is like, okay, we could eat 1,200 calories, but if it's of Oreos and Coca-Cola and Doritos, we're not going to get there. Yeah. So what you're describing is it matters what we absorb, what we actually the quality of what we're eating and what we're absorbing is what matters. Quality, balance, timing, all of those really matter. So that's another thing we've gotten against, right? Is with all this technology, we're not aligned with our circadian rhythms anymore. So we're eating well over 15 hours a day when we should be eating within like a 12 hour window and and earlier, you know, that's when our body is set up to metabolize, to digest to use it in regards to the, the glucose and insulin regulation. But what are we doing is we're, we're eating late. Mm-hmm. We're, we're pushing it out. And so the body doesn't even know how to process and utilize it too. So there, I mean, it, it, there's so many, so many avenues that we can address and that we can mm-hmm. look at, we can help people with in regards to what we eat, you know, quality balance, but then also when we're eating. No, it sounds daft, but it is the tr- it is the case that I suddenly dawned. My background is as a physiotherapist, and it really suddenly dawned on me: I know more about pharmaceuticals than I know about food and how we should fuel our bodies. And I was very aware I am not the only physiotherapist because just as part of our training, we are trained in pharmaceuticals, and many physiotherapists, particularly, can tell you a lot about pain medications, but not about how our bodies should be fueled or what they need to be fueled. And given that obviously movement and physical therapy is our primary tool, I was actually quite horrified when it dawned on me that surely I should know how we should be fueled or have some more clue than I do. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. And it's not, and that's what I always tell people too. It's not your fault because you didn't learn it. And and same with docs. Docs aren't learning nutrition in school either. I think it's 11 hours total in their whole degree and training. So it, it, we, we have to seek it out. We have to understand the importance of it and find credible sources to learn mm-hmm. in regards to how can we help? Because it's absolutely within the, the physical therapist realm. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, think so. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's in, you know, the, the API guidelines, you know, so it, it's, it's encouraged, you know, but again, to your point, you don't learn it. So you don't really know where to start. You don't know necessarily how to implement it. So again, partnering. And I think that's another part of it is that multidisciplinary team is like, make sure you've got a, a, a team of folks that you can rely on for different reasons too. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that Sam Bailey joined me recently as GP in New Zealand. And she commented that a medical school, she wasn't taught how to help people that clearly needed to lose weight. So somebody who comes to practice, she could make an observation or recommendation they should lose weight, but didn't actually know how 
to go about communicating, supporting that, making any recommendations whatsoever. Right. And so if she had a nutrition professional on her team, then she could refer out to that. So I think that's also important is if if you don't have the, the knowledge, that's okay. We can't know everything, but know somebody who could support would be helpful too. So Cindy, tell me about the differences then between a conventional and a functional nutritionist dietitian. Yeah, absolutely. And it really kind of falls under that umbrella of conventional versus functional medicine too. So kind of think of conventional is, is in a simplified form, it, it's a name and blame type of a thing. So, you know, we have a symptom, we have a condition, so that's labeled, you know, so that's a diagnosis. And so that's what we see ourselves as is this label, which is can be really detrimental mental health wise, but then we're given a pill to, to fix it, which it doesn't fix it. It might dampen a few, few symptoms or uh, a few things that they're experiencing, but it's not helping them long-term. And, and a lot of times too, it's segregated. So if we have to think about all of the specialists, you know, we have pulmonologists, we have cardiologists, gastroenterologists, orthopedists, you know, and, and, and so we kind of see the body as, as segregated and mm-hmm. separated. And also that one size fits all, Hey, you have this, let's do this. You know, whether it's medication in the case of nutrition, that is how we were taught. Like, here's the protocol. Here's your medical nutrition therapy protocol based on whatever your condition is. And, and I found out really early in my career, cause I was trained conventionally. All dietitians are, is that that didn't work. And I was scratching my head, like, why, why, why are my clients not getting results? And then I my, myself had some some health issues in in kind of the direction that my doc was going to go. I didn't agree with, and that's how I found functional medicine, functional nutrition, and that's you know what I've been doing now for the last twenty plus years. And it, it's more like understanding the body's connected. You know, so if think of like a spider web, if a, if a string is getting pulled, another one's going to get pulled. So realizing that, you know, a lot of our conditions are multifactorial as well. And so a lot of the research is tough because that's pinpointed on one thing. So we have to kind of broaden and realize, okay, the body is interconnected. How, how are we going to support all of the systems? Mm-hmm. And, and so it's not just nutrition, like what we're talking about, like what we're eating, how we're eating, when we're eating. But it's also how we're digesting. So our gut health is a foundation of overall health. It's also going to be how we're sleeping. How are we managing our stress? How are we being active? Uh, supplementation. You know, so there's a lot of other elements that we're going to address and realize that every person is unique. So we can have five people in the room that say have irritable bowel syndrome. They're all going to respond differently to what the plan is. And so it's being able to really listen to, to hear how somebody is responding and make adjustments accordingly to, to work with them. So it's more of a, a, a navigation system um, in, versus the dictatorship, which oftentimes comes with a conventional approach. It's like, okay, you've got this, do this. Uh, so realizing that everybody's unique. And so... What you're describing is, if I'm understanding correctly, is that a lot of health conditions are actually behavioural problems because they're as a response of us not looking after our bodies well enough. And if we had eaten well, taking better care of our bodies, these conditions would not have presented. So then the diagnostic label is not necessary 
because it's arised from a behavioural problem. If we can change our behaviour to better suit ourselves, then the label's gone. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And in a lot of case scenarios, absolutely. Because nutrition is, is, you know, food is medicine really used to prevent, manage, treat, and even reverse a lot of our chronic conditions. So exactly. You, you can, can remove that label. And that's what I really understood. I listened a little while ago to Tim Noakes, who I'm sure you're aware of because he's been very vocal in um, speaking about carbs particularly, hasn't he? Um, but I really took that from listening to him, regardless of the fact I haven't eliminated carbs from my diet. I like a piece of toast with my boiled egg. <laughs> um, the fact that, you know, diabetes, is rever- it was reversible for him. And he gives other examples of that. But the fact that some of these conditions, which you think once you've got are a lifelong problem, it does not necessarily need to be so. Absolutely. You are 100% correct. But then we go into this whole realm of thinking, okay, right, let's figure out a little bit about this. And of course, you then have the people that promote, well, like Tim, no carbs. Then you have people that promote just go pure carnivore. Then other people that promote go pure vegan. And you're like, ah, hang on a minute. <laughs> yes, confusion. I wonder why. <laughs> yes. And, and, you know, so I'm glad you brought that up too, Kate, because it is just, and most of the people that come to see me are, are saying that exact same thing. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. And, and that's where the end of one, like where we are all unique. And, and so like, I, I think of like the ketogenic diet, same thing. Like we talked about five people with IBS. You put five people on a ketogenic diet, they're all going to respond differently because everybody's body is different. But, you know, so we do need to, to, to listen and work with a, a healthcare provider or practitioner that understands this, but you need somebody who's going to be listening. Like, what does your body respond best to? Because it, it's not, you know, and I think that's one thing that we have lost. Like when we're trying to, to manage maybe our weight or a symptom or a condition, sometimes we'll get onto Dr. Google and we'll try to find out like, what's, what's the best next thing, but it's not right for them. And, and so that's where we have to, to realize that, you know, that's not a one size fits all. If we might, we might need, we could try it. And if our body feels worse on it, or it does the opposite of what we wanted to do, then we need to pivot. We need to adjust. Now there, there are some time and true foundations that I think are important for, for everybody. Uh, But I think in regards to, you know, if you dial into how much of like the different macronutrients. That's going to vary from person to person and even at different stages in life. You know, what worked well in somebody's 20s may not do the same in their 40s or 50s. So what are the core principles? I mean, the audience is majority physiotherapists. What are this? So we'll be like me in terms of recognizing, okay, I'll educate myself a bit, but oh my goodness me. So I came to the conclusion of you can't really go wrong with a couple of boiled eggs for breakfast and a slice of toast and meat and two veg for other meals or, you know, but that, that principle. Um, but what <laughs> are the core principles that we... What are the core principles? Yeah. I think number one is really trying to get people on more whole foods. So foods that don't have labels. You know, so those, or if there is a label, it's a very short ingredient list. You can identify and pronounce everything on it. That means your body can. It knows what to do with it. 
Whereas we, we get the processed packaged foods. And it's not that we're never going to eat something that's in a package or processed. We, we absolutely can, but we have to make sure that we can identify it. We know what it is. And then it, it's focusing on, on balance. So do you have some protein, plant or animal-based? Do you have some healthy fat like avocado, olives, nuts, and seeds? Do you have a lot of colorful plants? Like where the magic happens is those phytonutrients and antioxidants that you get from colorful, non-starchy vegetables and fruit and a little bit of non-starchy or starchy vegetables as well. And whole grains, you know, whole grains are, you know, people get really confused on, let me ask you, so like whole grain bread, you like to have your toast in the morning with your eggs. Really? So it's like a whole grain bread considered a whole grain. Do you know what? I have like two boiled eggs for breakfast and I have a slice of sourdough bread and usually the sourdough is white. Okay. Because but with that sourdough is nice to be white. I haven't even seen okay. this whole grain sourdough. Well, and so I like the soldiers. I want to dunk in the egg, you see. That's the only reason I have the bread, so I can dunk in the egg. Of course. Well, so I love having this conversation when, I, when I'm educating because it gets people's gears moving. Like, okay, what is this? So whole grain is, is one ingredient. So I always say like with bread, when's the last time you saw a bread tree or like a pasta bush mm. or a cereal tree? You know, so anything that is made from a grain is refined. Mm -hmm. Again, we're not going to 100% omit it, but we want to try to limit that and really focus on things that are one ingredient. So that would be like wild rice, brown rice, your quinoa, your amaranth, your millet, quinoa. Uh, I think I already mentioned that, th those types of items. Um, so it's just getting back to whole foods and a balance. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm a big advocate of three meals a day because every time we eat, we make our digestive system work. And most of us have digestive disruption. So we need to give it a break. We need, need to let it rest and recover. And then also every time we eat, we're going to make blood sugar, which makes insulin. Most of us are insulin resistant. So we're not using it to drive glucose into the cell for energy. And it's just making us fatter if we're not using it. So really looking at three meals within a 12-hour window trying to stop by about seven o'clock at night at the latest for again, that circadian rhythm. So those are some good foundations. Now, I hadn't even thought about that because I just knew there was no way I was ever going to experiment with this, but I'm sure some of the listeners have. There's quite a thing about fasting. Oh, yes. And I have not gone there because there is no way, well, there's just no way I am. So. <laughs> And that's something a lot of people are afraid of that too, because, oh my gosh, I have to deprive myself. I have to, to not eat, which is so enjoyable. I mean, you know, eating is enjoyable. It's a social event. It's an enjoyable, it brings us pleasure. Um, so it, that's where I think a lot of people can start is just the line of the circadian rhythm. You know, just make sure you're getting at least 12 hours of fasting overnight, which is easier, right? Because hopefully you're sleeping overnight. And I can fast overnight, so between breakfast and dinner, that's okay. That's not a problem. But I meant, I think there's people, there's people doing really quite long fasts, like in the daytime, not having anything. There's water fast. There's yeah. alternate day fasting where maybe you have 500 calories every other day. There, and Those are more advanced tactics. And so you're right. A lot of people aren't ready for that. So you, you got to walk before you run when you get yeah. into fasting. 
So again, I think I, I think it's like the stat right now is well over 50% of Americans are eating in over a 15 hour window. So that means they're fasting less than nine hours. So, I mean, that's the first place. I think we just got to assess like, when do I start? And, and that's even just calories. I think a lot of people have coffee or tea and they put cream and sugar in it. Well, that breaks the fast. We can't, can't forget that. So whenever we're having calories first thing in the day and then when's our last calories in the evening, just kind of assess what is that window and then try to, to narrow that window. That's what it, you're that's describing is actually if we just become consciously observant of what we're doing and not sort of passively going through the kitchen cupboards and eating, but actually just become consciously aware of what we are doing, we will quite immediately start to catch ourselves with some bad habits and adjust it just by being alert to what we are actually doing. Mindful and intentional. Absolutely. And so that's like your, your three meals where you're sitting down, you're not running, you're not driving, you're not walking around, you're not, you know, doing all kinds of chores around the house. Like you, you have a dedicated meal time that you're focused and then you're going to enjoy it a lot more too. It's going to satisfy you better. This food pyramid that we're all taught at school and they still taught, is it, should it just go in the bin? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think like when with when you look at the evidence out there, kind of the gold standard pattern way of eating is the Mediterranean. So there's like a Mediterranean pyramid. So you could look at that as a better guide. So more plant forward, you've mm -hmm. got a lot more of your omega-3 anti-inflammatory fats coming in through the oils and through fish that you'd be eating. So that that pyramid would be a better reflection. And if we're eating well and getting all the nutrients that we need from our diet, are supplements unnecessary? I do think so. You know, so there, there's about a core five that I, I prefer to see most of my clients using. And a lot of that is because there's nutrient gaps. I mean, we have to face it. We're not all going to get every nutrient into the level that we need, even if we're eating a very healthy diet. And part of that is just nutrition quality. You know, what are we selecting? Our soils are a lot more depleted these days. And if we're under stress, we're going to be losing more vitamins. If we're you know, drinking any alcohol, we're going to be losing some vitamins. Uh, so it, there's there's a lot of things that are going to, to reduce that opportunity. And then also digestive disruption, as we talked about, you know, because it's one thing to eat, but then what is the digestive system doing with it? Can it break it down, absorb it so your body can use it? So I, I, I like to, to say these core five will, will fill the gaps and help support. And then it becomes more of an individualized approach, depending on what they're dealing with and what their status is. And then we have the other extreme, don't we? In many ways, we live in an environment now where health is more on the radar than ever before. My car's just been in for service and it's ready. I'll delete that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> the glory of working from home, right? Thank you. Are you going tomorrow? Yes, I'll be in the morning. Right, should be tomorrow. Really, the car can't wait. I love it. I love it. Which is nice, right? You do that, you don't do it live, so you can add it. <laughs> no, I have a do not disturb sign. And that, there's no point. 
I put like, I put down the door handle and, like this. Like really do not disturb. <laughs> I, your 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 face was priceless. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I went. <laughs> the car can wait. Um, you know. Anyway, so I was about, I was about to ask you about anorexia. That's what I was about to ask you. Anything disorders the other way. So right, let's pick up. So we live in an environment where health and health information is abundantly available, too available, but. The paradox is we're having more obesity and chronic health problems. And we also have the other extreme of people being undernourished, because I'm understanding that you're describing the obesity problem is also an undernourishment problem, but undernourished and underweight. Yeah, there, and I, I'm not as familiar with that area in my own personal uh, education, training, and practice. But there, yeah, I mean, we have all elements. And I think there's more of an emotional, mental connection with a lot of the the true eating disorders. But there are two, you, you know, depending on where they are in their readiness, you know, some, as long as you, again, have that education around the importance of, of whole, high quality, balanced nutrition, by making some changes. They, they can feel better and they're able to recover easier, but that does really entail a, a specialized trained professional to work with that. There's clearly niche in that area as well. Oh, gosh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So when you're teaching other health professionals about the fact that food is medicine, what are some of the most common myths? that you have to dispel? Common myths. Um, I, I think, you know, the calories in, calories out. People are, are, are focused on the amount. And I think we gave that analogy mm. of 1200 calorie diet of, mm. of junk. Um, so that doesn't work as well. Um, also just like all of the, the fads, you know, the diet fads, you know, not that they're, they're going to be fads for everyone, but just realizing that everybody is unique. And, and so being able to, to trial something and see if that is, is going to work for that particular person. Um, I think another one is, is probably food reaction. So not food allergies, but more food sensitivity. So they're, they're lower grade, they're more delayed and subtle in regards to the reactions that they have in our body. So it's harder to pinpoint. And, and so sometimes we think that eggs or dairy or, or, you know, gluten or soy or whatever it might be, it's the best thing for us, but our body's not functioning well on it. So I think also being able to identify what are our potential food triggers and then how do you transition off of that? Or how do you test if it is an issue for them? Um, so I think that sometimes we just, we, we have a, a thought that we need to eat certain foods or, you know, that what I call food jag you know, so we think about our toddlers who eat the same thing time and time and time again, a lot of us as adults are doing that as well. We eat the same breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And so if we, we think about our gut, our gut, our gut is the foundation to overall health, wellness, metabolism, body composition, and that microbiome is very diverse and it's changing on a daily basis. So if we want to encourage it to remain diverse, we need to diversify our diet. So we need to change it up. We need to have like 30 unique food items in a, in a week. 
And, and so just even kind of tallying that up to see. So I, I, I think those are some of the things or it's a, a little bit beyond just like a standard black and white myth, but I think a lot of things that people feel they should be doing or maybe not be doing in their diet. So hopefully that helps answer that question. Yeah, so it seems like we've got a real misplaced in priorities because at the end of our day, the end of the day, the body is the only place that we all have to live. And we're not paying attention to how we fuel it in anywhere near enough level of consciousness. And we're not prioritizing in the day that what we eat matters and it matters over the course of a week as well. Yeah. And you make me think very much as a French lady who once told me that if you ate, I think it was a slight dig at British foods <laughs> or eating habits, that if you eat three good meals in a day, no matter how bad your day has been, you've had three happy moments. So to really <laughs> make sure you take the time and effort to prepare a nice meal and take the time and effort to savor it as well, rather yeah. than just shovel on the go. I love that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's just kind of re reestablishing those habits. Yeah. Those nice, healthy, nutritional habits. So, so practitioners that are aware that mm, I have an opportunity when somebody's come to see me for help with their, their health, I have an opportunity to share some insights or give them some guidance on what they're eating and just have the conversation. How do you suggest that practitioners that aren't dietitians or aren't nutritionists, they're perhaps physios or, or GPs or podiatrists, but it's, it's, it's relevant, particularly yeah. like for a podiatrist, you know, seeing a lot of diabetics. How do we just open up the opportunity for the conversation? I mean, it might be shut down, but I think there's an opportunity to open it up. I think just having that conversation, depending on whatever they're dealing with, if they're coming there for pain, they have a lot of inflammation, achiness, you know, whatever they're, they're coming for, if you can connect those dots between what they're feeling and how nutrition can affect that, they might be more open to listening about it. So just helping them understand that, that food really is therapy. It is medicine, you know, and it's going to help them perform better. It's going to help them recover better. You know, so again, co correlating it back to what they are currently dealing with. It doesn't mean that they're going to be ready to change. But I think if you have those conversations with them, if they're ready to have, you know, a conversation, you could have them keep like a three to seven day food journal and, and just document everything that they're eating and drinking for those three to five or seven days and bring that in. And then that's where um, the physical therapist could, could assess. But then again, they might not even need to be assessed because just that process of logging it, you become consciously aware your, yourself as well, don't you? If, I, if you were to ask me to log everything, which I might well do on the back of this, log everything I eat in the next seven days, I bet I'd be quite surprised at some of the things I do. Exactly. And, and the, the, that's one of the drawbacks to that, Kate, is that a lot of folks will under-report. So there is no real ideal way to journal you know, in those case scenarios to get that initial assessment because they're going to want to tell you what you want to hear mm. or they're going to change what they do because they have to put it on paper mm. or they're going to under-report. Like they're going to lessen what they're doing. Um, but that's all we can do, you know, and, it, and, and I just try to encourage my clients that this is for your benefit. 
you know, so the, the more truthful you are, the, the more I can help you in regards to transforming. And, you know, none of us are perfect and we're never going to be perfect. I mean, it, it, that's not about perfection. It's just about how can we fuel our bodies to optimize how we're feeling, how we're performing and how we're healing. Yeah, I think you're not telling me to deny myself an ice cream, not just me, but you're not telling the listener yeah. just to deny themselves an ice cream when they're on holiday. But it's the overall picture of what your it's habit, isn't it? It's the overall picture of your habits and are the habits healthy? Yeah. And if, if, so if the majority of your habits are healthy, that's a win. You know, so yes, we're going to still have 10, maybe even 20% of the time where we're not right on, on task in regards to what fuels and serves our body the best, but that's okay. You know, that's normal. Super. Can you just summarize the conversation for the practitioner listening in a couple of sentences as to what are the most important takeaways that you would like them to hear? We encourage you to, to start inquiring, you know, letting, letting your practice or letting your clients, your patients know that food really is medicine and that it can help them perform better, recover better, heal better, manage, even reverse some of the, the potential conditions that they're dealing with. And, and if they're ready to have that conversation, do that three, five, seven day assessment of what they're eating, what they're drinking. And then, you know, the foundations that we talked about is, is go for more whole foods versus packaged and processed foods doing more of those colorful plants, a lot more of your non-starchy vegetables, lots of the fruit, think of the rainbow with that, have some protein, high quality protein, like salmon, pasture chicken, uh, then you can have your, your healthy fats as well. Like the nuts and seeds, avocados, olives. So just helping them figure out how can they balance that into three meals a day. And, and also the timing, you know, see how, how long their eating window is. See if you can start to shorten that a little bit and then widen the fasting window because that has a lot of great metabolic benefits as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for joining me, Cindy, and for your insights. Thank you.